Good morning, good morning. Uh, we are going to continue um, our, our teaching series through the book of Revelation. Uh, we're doing the seven letters to the church. This is our fourth one. And I would um, just kind of preface this uh, for, for children that, that might be in here. Also, if you're a young believer or uh, not a believer at all, you're here just kind of, you're, you're kind of checking things out and seeing if there is a God and, and maybe what Christians believe. You know, normally if you're new to the faith, we would not take you to the book of Revelation. Um, so there's that. You might have tons of questions. You might hear some things that you even disagree with. Um, today, talking about judgment, false teachings, but also sexual morality. So there might be some questions that come up. Um, you know, we're not going to get too detailed with stuff or, or inappropriate by any means, but you just, you might want to know that. So you might be some questions from different people. Amen. So uh, let's just get to it because time is ticking. Uh, so open your Bibles to Revelation two eighteen through 29. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, these are the words of the son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual morality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, and thus they repent of their ways. Verse 23, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I'll repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira that you who do not hold on to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Verse 27. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, Lord, um, thank you for your word, for your truth. Would we um, surrender to it today? Holy Spirit, would you speak to your people today that we wouldn't just read it or even be taught, but we would understand that we need the revelation of the Holy Spirit today. Work among your hearts and the minds of your people, Lord God, and in your power. In Jesus' name, amen. So as, as we look at this, obviously, some heavy stuff in there. And um, yes, Jesus is our friend. He is our brother. He's our savior. Um, but we also need to remember he is, he is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And um, Jesus, as God, says some things that are really, really hard. And as we look, all of this is good news, but we're not God, right? From, from judgment is actually good news. A God of love will also judge. A God of love will say, you can only go this far. A God of love would say that there's a wrong and there's a right. 
A God of love would also say something about sexual morality. And we don't apologize for any of that, but we also know that if, if it's new to you or if you're, you're in the midst of some what we would call untruths or sin, uh, it can hit you uh, like a brick. So we want to be sensitive to that, although we still believe it's the truth. I remember hearing much of this as a young teenager in middle school, not going to church yet, but having a Bible, being very thankful when I read the Bible, some of the warnings, some of the truths, it marinated with what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me at the time. Um, so we want to look at that with just the same lens of, yes, under, that the Holy Spirit would move uh, among God's people. Um, and then if you're here, just seeking too, that the Lord would, would speak to you. This, this part here, he says the eyes are like blazing fire. Uh, that's important in each of the letters. Jesus is revealing something of himself that's also uh, very important for the church that he is speaking to and correcting and, and also lifting up. This, the eyes are like blazing fire. Um, this, this correlates with Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. See, Jesus is saying, I, I see all. I am God. That's why we believe Jesus is God. We believe in the Trinity. And he's not just a man. He is also the Lord. He's the Son. And he sees all. Jeremiah 23, 4. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So this is a really, like he's saying, I've see, I see everything you're doing. People don't have to tell me. I, I see it. And then the part where he says his feet are like, um, like bronze, furnished in bronze. What, is, what does that mean? Psalms 12.6. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. So the Lord is bringing correction. He's bringing judgment. He's bringing truth. And Jesus is saying, I see all, and I'm going to refine you. And for some, it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be truthful. For others, it's going to mean death. There's going to be some consequences. Tyra, like every city mentioned in these letters, was a part of the Roman Empire. And in this city, there was great trade. Um, you would have to be a part of like what we would probably understand. They called them guilds, but they were, they were unions. Um, business unions, and to be a part of these, you would have been tempted to engage in their practices. They would have these meetings of these unions for businessmen and women, um, and they would be in temples where they would worship false gods. In these meetings, they would have lots of food sacrificed to idols, and then they would also have sex. The Lord uses this name Jezebel to actually refer to a real person that was misleading um, this city and this church. And he says that she is like this Jezebel. Well, we know Jezebel. Raise your hand if you've heard of Jezebel. Okay. <clears throat> She's in the Old Testament. She's the wife of King Ahab, who was the king of Israel. And she taught uh, the worship and made popular this worship, uh, the false god of Baal. And in that, they also would have temple priests um, and male and female uh, prostitutes, and it was a part of their worship. They, they believed that it would help them bear more children and also 
would make their crops good, if that makes sense. And so Jesus is saying that was, that was death, and, and a king was misled by his wife, and he's like, this, this female prophet who's not a prophet, she's a false prophet, she's also misleading the church. This is a big deal. So the first thing we want to look at this morning is false teaching and false prophecy. And remember, this church in Thyatira, they're a church known for loving well. God says, you're doing a lot of really good things. You're loving so well. However, you're allowing this to happen. And we're going to get to both of those things. But this false teaching. And here's a warning. And we live in a day and time where um, it's not just from the pulpit. It's not just... um, licensed, ordained leaders, people with a microphone that are, lead, that are false teachers, that there's podcasts, there's YouTube channels, there's books out there. And I would, I would encourage you, stop listening to every teacher and podcast. Not all podcasts or platforms are from the Lord. And be careful. Like we tell children, be careful what you see, also what you listen to for a reason. As an adult or as a kid, have you ever had a, like a song stuck in your head that you don't even like? My gosh, I don't even like this song, and I'm just got the melody, right? There's there's power in words and in music and in melodies. Hitler in World War II changed the world for the worse because he was good at speaking, right? And once once those things came in, people believed evil things about the entire world and races. So we too must be careful what we're listening to, and. Um, 1 John 4.1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many. And why is this important for, it's important for all churches, but why is it important for a church like Emmaus? We are a church that, um, we, we are called continuous we believe that this, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, is essential for the Christian walk. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That Jesus ascended after the resurrection. He said, I'm going to bring you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we are continuous. We believe that the Holy Spirit is still moving among his people. Raise your hand if you kind of get what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm talking about. So in that, we believe God will move among his people. Gifts will be distributed. Words and prophecy will be given. Even as I or Pastor Michael or any of our other teachers get up here, that the whole, we're not just doing this out of our intellect, that the Holy Spirit would work through us. Because we believe those things, especially we should believe in testing the spirits and words to see whether they are from God or f- from evil places and things. We are continuous, but we would also agree that other continuous in other churches, brothers and sisters we love, don't test things enough. They don't use biblical guidelines that are a gift from us enough, and a lot of damage can happen just like the spirit of Jezebel. Does that make sense to us? So test things out. Do it with a good heart. There's a reason why we have public teaching. So it can be tested among God's people and why we will go into house churches and talk about things more. You don't want to hear from the book of Ron, amen, or the book of Michael, amen, right, or whoever else comes up here. We want to hear from the Lord. And if we're off or we misspeak about something, would we be corrected? Amen. And this is something 
that um, in the first letter, the Nicolotians, uh, they were allowed, allowing witchcraft and sorcery because they could not tell the difference between a move of the Holy Spirit and demons. When Jesus is saying in that first letter, you lost your first love, he's talking about one of the early disciples who, um, who before he became a Christian was a pagan. And he didn't know the difference between a move of the Holy Spirit and false teachings and witchcraft. And I'm, one of my fears and many other leaders of the church, sometimes us continuous don't know the difference. Sometimes Christians don't know the difference because we will not slow down and hear from God. We just want to make things happen. Okay? We just want the, well, you, maybe you just hear the goosebumps. Right? I want to see the Lord move. You, you will not walk effectively without the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need to test things because the enemy has power too. We need sound, orthodox teaching. And you, you hear this word, sound, orthodox teaching. It's like things that were taught 2,000 years ago with the apostles are still alive and well today. We have not surpassed our thinking of the apostle Paul or, or the apostle Peter or any of the apostles. Right? So we go back to those original teachings and understandings of the early church. And that's where you come up with the, with the term orthodox teaching. Every generation, there's someone that comes along and says, I've got something new. The Bible has something to say about that. There's nothing new underneath the sun. Oh, I've got this new revelation that no one for 2,000 years has heard of. I would put a red flag to that. Right? I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. We, we, we're, we're, we know more than the apostle Paul? We know more than the apostles that, that walked with Jesus? Be very careful when you hear that. So we test things. 2 Timothy 2.15 do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the truth. And that's an important thing to all the preachers and teachers and, and whether they're on a pulpit like I am today or they have a podcast or they have a book they're writing or they have a YouTube channel. We have to be careful. And I think in the church in America, how many more fallen leaders from just being more in love with being healthy and wealthy and famous than they are the word of God. Right? And would we be challenged in that? Two weeks ago, um, just talking about the second letter, and I made a comment about reverence, and my 16-year-old daughter would learn to have more reverence as she drives. Later that day, she wrecked her car. Totaled it. She's okay. She walked away from it. Praise be to God. Um, there was correction after we found out she was okay. But it, not, a, not a phone call you want to hear. Um, we were actually in three separate cars, and I got home with my, with my son, and I was getting ready to take a nap, and my wife says, Kylan is about five minutes away from you. She's in a wreck. Go find her. She forgot to tell me she's okay. All right? It was like, find her. She's okay. It's good. Well, there was a moment in there, because if you have a 16-year-old driver, you know if they get any type of wreck or ticket, what happens? Price goes up, right? And there was a moment. Hmm, the cops are not here yet. Did my daughter drive this car, or did I? <laughs> right? And even later on, my... Dad, why didn't you just... There's a reason for that, Kylan, multiple reasons. And obviously, I chose not to do that. Was I tempted? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? And I could have found myself righteous, too. Like, a godly man is smart. And I go, I don't know, right? 
who am I to deny the Lord's manna before me? You know, and the list goes on and on. But and as my daughter and I have been able to talk about it, because we've had some friends who said, you know what, you could have just. I'm like, yes. But as my daughter and I have talked, I'm like, honey, I would have had to face the Lord on that. And I'd have to go to sleep every night knowing to the Lord, I lied. And then there's going to come a time where my daughter, my daughter and the rest of my family are like, well, but dad, we, we lied here. We're to be people that walk in truth, not just pastors, but all of us. And so too many times to save a buck, we won't follow the Lord. And this is what's happening to this church. This is the place of wealth and that there's unions and, and businesses to be a part of. And if you don't play by, the, the, by the, the methods of the Roman Empire and these unions and guilds, they kick you out. If you don't eat that food, if you don't do that sexual morality, and then they have this false teacher who Jesus says is like Jezebel. Like this is what she's doing and she's misleading my people. And they found the loophole in it. And this is nothing new. This goes back to Genesis. Did God really say Right? What was the first lie? Did God really say that? Right? And it's important that we would look, did God really say this? But also be careful with the lie. Let's look in Acts 16, 14 through 15, and we actually get to see a glimpse of a, of a businesswoman in this very town who's walking with Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is spreading the gospel. <coughs> And we see this right here. It says, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, as she's persuaded us. Why is this important? Um, the fact that she was a dealer in purple cloth meant she was dealing with one of the most precious garments you could have had at that time. And purple, it's what the royals wore. So it was like the most expensive stuff. And here we get to see this glimpse of someone part of the same church who we believe, and we're still talking about her today. She's a woman. She's a businesswoman. And she becomes a believer, but she doesn't go the way of the spirit of Jezebel. This is an important thing as we test words from the Lord, but we also test our hearts. This isn't just for theology. This is for practices of our daily routines of making money. And for the church that lives in a place called America, which God bless America, I praise God for her, but she struggles with the idol of money. And the church is right in there. We will sacrifice so much for money and part of the message here today would say, I mean, if you're a person in business and you're making finances, don't cheat. Don't look for the shortcut because God sees all. He has that eye. Nothing gets past him. Don't bend a knee to the spirit of this world. Stop being jealous of the wicked ways. Stop believing. Have you ever heard this? Good guys finish last. Right? It's, you're sacrificing too much. Integrity, character, peace. 
convinced one of the reasons why we all struggle with so much anxiety and lack of peace. Yes, the things that we watch on TV are busyness, but it's also we don't have the peace of the Holy Spirit. And we think that we're being tormented because God has given up on us when really the Lord is allowing things so that we would wake up and we would turn from the ways of this world. God doesn't call us to sin or run over people so they can get to heaven. This word love, we serve the God of love. And what's happening, and it's happening 2,000 years ago, and it's happening now, the enemy loves to sabotage love. Whether it be agape love, unconditional love, acts of service to just be nice to people, or sexual and romantic love. I was listening to a podcast this last week where um, the Christian leaders said Christians have to be careful because they always have an agenda. Um, and I don't know this person, so I can't ask him, like, what do you mean by that? When I, he- when I heard him say that, um, I was like, whoa, Christians do have an agenda. We absolutely have an agenda. And first, that we would walk in agape love. Raise your hand if you know what agape love is. Okay? Most of us do. Okay? Some of us don't. It is just that it's, it's the love that God showed you when you were rebelling against him. It's the love that God shows to anyone and everyone on the face of the th- face of this earth just because he's love. And we are to do this. That's why we're to turn the other cheek. It's why we're to be kind, whether people are Christians or not. That's why we're to be kind, and we need to remember this, whether people are nice to you or not, right? We're called to walk in this, and God says he will use this. It's unconditional, unmerited love. The other thing is that our hope, our absolute agenda is that people would go from death to life in Christ Jesus, and something that is also happening in this way, this world, is that we're afraid as if like we're religious or judgmental because we tell people the good news of the gospel. Walk in agape love, walk in the Holy Spirit, but your heart should always be like, Lord God, would they know the good news? And for some of us today, as we just even look at the book of Revelation and these seven letters, would we be reminded of God's love, but also his judgment We'd be reminded of the good news. Good night. If I go to a restaurant, you're going to hear me talk about it. I see social media. You guys are taking pictures of it, right? Telling everybody the food, a movie, a book, a vacation spot. We won't shut up about it, right? Right? You're going to tell your friends, like, man, if you go to this place, if you're going to be over in this place, you got to go here. Oh, I saw this movie. It was great. But then we'll let the enemy tell us. Oh, you're judgmental and religious and you have an agenda if you tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That is an untruth. We do have an agenda and it's good and it's holy and do not forget that which saved you. James 3.1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And I think we assume that all of the false teachers have official positions in the church body. This, that, that assumption would be wrong. Some false teachers are sitting in the pews of every church in the world. Podcasts, books. So friends, be careful. We do have this beautiful thing called the Bible to help us. We do have the Holy Spirit and we do have the church. 
So one of the things, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, not, not tons, but a little bit, but this sexual morality. And this isn't the first time um, that God talks about the gift of sex, how it's to be used, and how it's not to be used. Um, this isn't the first time, you know, from the prophets of Baal to, to Samuel and his sons, that, and they mixed this worship and, 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 and hurting people with sex. Jesus mentions this in Matthew 5, 28, and just kind of like, like we don't understand what a gift pleasure is, but we also understand how the enemy tries to mess with it. Matthew 5, 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's not just our actions, it's our minds. And we're in a world, the United States of America, it's all about the flesh. And the church is right in there. Ephesians 5, 3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity, oh, and right here, or of greed. That one hurt. Because these are improper for God's holy people. And we want to be kind in this. I don't apologize for it because it's truth. And again, as a young 13 and 14-year-old, when he heard these very same passages, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Because in my spirit already in middle school, my friends were doing all sorts of stuff. And I was like, this does not end well. This doesn't work. Like, it, there's some, something dangerous about this. And then I, I just thank the Lord that the enemy didn't allow me to be misled to think this was judgment or that this God doesn't believe in pleasure or fun. Have you read the Song of Solomon, friends? Right? right? God created sex. He created marriage and he created covenants. He said, this thing is so holy and it is good, but it has some guidelines. If not, what is a gift will become bondage for you. And it's pretty easy, the definition. Sex happens in marriage, and marriage is between a man and a woman. You don't have to believe me, and I encourage you not just to believe me. Search, search the scriptures. And if you're not a believer, of course you're probably not going to believe that. Okay, but I encourage you to seek the Lord on things more. A few years ago, there was a huge sting in Springfield to stop sexual prostitution at massage parlors. Raise your hands if you remember that. Okay. And um, tons of people got arrested. One of uh, my wife and I, one of our friends, translated to some of the workers because uh, she spoke their language. And almost all, not all, but many of the workers didn't see anything wrong with it. This is just how they lived. This is just how they were brought up. That's how they made a buck. And they didn't understand how their bodies were being exploited. And unfortunately, most of them went back to that practice. See, our God has a standard for sexual morality for a reason. And if we trust him enough in this subject, because honestly, Christian or not, people go, yeah, that's just not, that's not good. There's nothing good that's going to come out of this. If we trust the Lord on that subject, I would encourage you for freedom. Find out what else this good God has to say. When God tells us no, it's not because he's mean. It's not because he's like, man, I just want to hold out all the good stuff. Some of us have bought into the lie to be a Christian. Man, I'm just missing out on all the fun. Right? And then one day, you know, who knows? That's just the sacrifice. No. When God tells us no, there's for a reason. Because when we go outside of those guidelines, it will surely bring and again, just like in our day and time, the enemy is sabotaging this word love. 
Agape love and romantic love. Remember, he tells them in verse 19, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. They were a church that was known to be loving. If you wanted to go to this church and have them take care of your physical needs, it was probably it. If you wanted them to be kind, this was probably it. And then the enemy said, hmm, here's their strength. How can I make it their weakness? And why is this also important to a church like Emmaus? Because we are known in the community to be loving. And how many times have I heard or have you heard, well, if you loved me, you would do this. My children try to use this method. Dad, if you loved me, you'd buy me a new car. Not yet. Not yet. If you loved me, you'd let me watch. The, I can stay up as late as I want. Right? Right? And, and as a good parent, I say, yes, yes, you're right. No. No. <laughs> Sorry. And it's the same thing with the world. And the world is doing that because they know the enemy, not the world, like, not, not people, but spirits behind these lies. Whether we know they're a place of love. So if we can take that love, this powerful tool that the Lord has given them, maybe they'll be less effective. They're so loving in this church. They're allowing every voice in teaching to be taught. And God has something to say about it. And may we turn to the Lord. Psalms 119, 33 to 37. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all of my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statues and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. And again, we're talking about sexual morality or we're talking about theology. Don't just take my word for it. Seek out the scriptures. If you're not a believer of Jesus, ask more about this gospel and about the life after this one. What happens after this life? We often, in our Western world, greet the cart, the cart before the horse. People stop the behavior. They get the warning. They see the morality, but they forget the God who wrote good things and guidelines, and limits. And we would hate for you to miss that. Amen? So the second thing we want to talk about is repentance. Verse 21. I have given her time to repent for her immorality, but she is unwilling. So the Lord is saying, I've given her time. Sometimes we'll say, man, why do these bad things happen? Why does God allow this evil person in leadership? Why does God allow this person to own a business? And um, just like this woman, this false teacher, guys, I'm giving her time. I'm giving her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. We talk about sin, and the, the biblical definition of sin is missing the mark. So God, the creator of all things, says this is how I created it to be, to be good and holy. And when you're not doing it that way, it's actually missing the mark. Sometimes we can get uptight. Like, oh, the church is just going to talk about sin, or they're going to talk about rules. Again, flip that around and, you know, see it as a good thing. The Lord is telling us what is good and what is holy, what we should go after. 
when we talk about repentance, some of you might like get like nervous, right? For various reasons. I don't know, probably some good ones and some bad ones. But repentance is an important foundational faith for believers. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The Lord is saying, man, some of you, some of you in this church aren't bending a knee to that. And so I'm going to send grace to you. Some other ones, there's some judgment coming. To repent means to turn around. It's a 180. And God calls his people to repent. To change our heart, our mind, and our actions. J.C. Ryle, um, evangelical bishop in the 1800s, wrote this about repentance. True repentance begins with knowledge of sin. It does not go on to work sorrow, or it goes on to work sorrow for sin. It leads to confession of sin before God. It shows itself before a person by a thorough breaking off from sin. It results in producing a deep hatred for all sin. Not people, but sin. True repentance is when you just realize, like, and this is, I don't want this anymore. This isn't good anymore. I'm leaving this behind. I actually hate that lie, right? Yes, can we be in, in, tempted to go back to it? Yeah, absolutely. There's a whole other teaching to that. But the Lord is calling them to repent just like he is us in the Church of America. And I hope you notice, too, like in every passage we've used almost today as we're talking about sexual morality, it's also talking about greed. Okay, so let's also be careful of that. Oh, wait a minute, it's a place of business where people are struggling and giving in to temptation of sexual morality because they're greedy, right? There's like we, like in the, some of the same passages we'll talk about sexual morality, talk about gossip, slander, greed, enough said. Hebrews 3, 7 through 9. I want to talk about this and, and unlayer it. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of the testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. So um, book, the book of Hebrews, um, and they're talking to Jewish people and as the, as the gospel is being presented to them. And this is a warning of saying, don't harden your hearts like generations before your fathers did in the desert when God was doing miraculous signs and wonders and they still didn't trust him. And he's telling them, there's something that happens when we harden our hearts. I believe it's a physical thing, but it's also a spiritual thing. I've had it happen to me. Or my heart was hardened to my wife or to my kids or people in the church or even to the word of God. You ever had where you're like in a, maybe a season of sin or like temptation and that Christian music comes on, you're like, I don't like Christian music, right? Or like, man, the church, everyone's just judgmental there. I'm not going in there. I've heard so many people say, man, just, man, everyone's going to judge me. I'm like, who judged you? Sometimes people do, but not, many times, like, did anyone really judge you, or is this a hardening of the heart? Right? And then as a believer, you start to recognize, a mature believer, you start to recognize, like, okay, there's something else going on here. Do not let your heart be hardened. Do not let your heart be hardened. Well, there is a God of love, but also a God of judgment. 
He is both. And that's the beautiful thing of the cross. The cross, the one right behind me, on display is his judgment. And a good God would say there's limits. A good God, a loving God, would say there's a right and there's a wrong, which is why God judges. That's why Jesus is coming back to judge the world. A good God really would, but also on display is his love and his mercy. The Lord does not go back on his word. His word would say, I got to deal with this. I've got to deal with this unrighteousness, this sin, for he is holy. But then a loving God also says, how do I make a way? Which is why he sent his son. He sent himself to die in our place, which is why the gospel is such good news. When we read and listen to the book of Revelation, and it can kind of get me up in knots too, but I forget, oh, it's such good news. This is not always the way the world will be. Jesus is coming back And the gospel is here now for all to come to the Lord. And there will be a time as much as my flesh doesn't like it, because I'm not God. There will be a time when it is too late, which is why we preach the gospel. And the world will say, you're being so judgmental. I'm like, it's not. It's it's the good news of God. And I say this in kindness. The same people who say, how could a loving God allow all this pain? And I say this too. God, how, how? How could you do it? But many times they also say the same, same thing. The same people that many times say, a loving God, how could you allow all this pain? That God, you don't exist. There's no God. Or they will say, there's no truth. Or they'll say, no one can tell me what to do. Why does God care about my bedroom? Why does God care what movie I see or what I listen to? Or they'll say, it seems really wrong that God would judge us like this goes back to the same thing. How would God, a loving God, allow all this pain? And see, he doesn't. But he's giving time so that the world will repent. He's giving time because he loves. He rescues and brings judgment because he loves. So, may the word of the Lord speak to us today. And then in the end of the passage, it is mentioned of the morning star. And Jesus is talking about the second coming. His word will not come back void in your life, friends. This doesn't mean that everything works out your way or that there won't be hard times. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. But he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Blessings are to be found even in the storms. And this is the beautiful thing about the book of Revelation. He's coming back to make a new heaven and a new earth. Tim Keller said this before he died, one of his, one of his many amazing things that he said. The central basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. And that's why the hardening of the heart is such an important thing to look at. Because you'll say, God, you left me. God, you abandoned me. God, I can't hear your voice anymore. That's the hardening of heart. He never let go of you. He will never, God doesn't lie. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. The blood of the lamb is on you, but your hearts can be hardened in such a way that you say, God, where are you? And we wait for this loving God, this good judge, this king that has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll end in this one passage, then we have some questions and some time for worship. Revelation 21.4. And if we're not careful, we'll only read some of the things we don't understand in the book of Revelation or some of the scary stuff. And we'll forget about beautiful passages like this. For a day will come when he will wipe 
every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's why we have an agenda, friends. That the whole world would know. And they'd have the opportunity to believe in this good gospel. Why they still can. And we hope for a home. And know of a home where the old order of things will pass away. And that's good news. Amen? A couple questions as the worship team comes up. First question. Are you reverent with the words that you speak? Be careful. The Bible's really clear. It's one of the things that's always scared me about, about being a preacher and a, being a teacher, um, let alone I, I never liked public speaking. Um, but are you reverent with the words you speak? Because the book of James is really clear. Not just those holding the mic, but all teachers. You will be held accountable. There's words to be spoken. But let's do it by the word of God and the spirit of God. Amen? Are you reverent with the words that you speak? And that's not just talking about pastors. Number two, are you filtering the words that you hear through the word of God, the people of God, and the Holy Spirit? Words spoken over you, ideologies that this world sends to our children, sends to us, and it creeps in. Again, that's why this, this whole part of this section, this fourth letter of the church, this false teacher was allowing it to happen. Are you filtering the words you hear through the word of God, the Bible, the people of God, the church? That's why we do public teachings. And then the Holy Spirit. And I encourage, I don't think we do that enough. I don't think we do that enough. Third question, do you need to repent and turn to God? This is a message about God's truth, but also about God's people being reminded to confess and repent, to call out the lies, to call out the bondage, and that you'd be in a safe place to do that. Do you need to repent and turn to God? And then the last question before we pray, are you holding on to Jesus? No matter what you're going through, doubt, temptation, sin, forgiveness, redemption, are you holding on to Jesus? Knowing that he's actually holding on to you. Right? Are you holding on to Jesus realizing he'll never let go of you? Are you holding on to Jesus knowing that, he, that you, you can't outrun his goodness, his kindness, his forgiveness, his truth? And encourage you, just like every letter, there's a rebuke, but there's also an encouragement. Hold on, I'm coming back. Hold on, persevere. Good things are going to happen. I encourage you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, hold on to the gospel. Maybe go back and read and look at the good news. If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you, there's probably some questions that, you're, that you need to be asking about, about this life and the life to come. If you guys can stand, we're going to close in prayer. There are people in the back that would love to pray with you and for you if you need prayer today. There's also communion in the back. We have that every week. Um, back there, so anyone can take communion. Um, and then also remember the, the, 
the first Wednesday of the month, we have corporate communion and also the fourth Sunday of the month. Um, so encourage you as believers, take the, the bread and the wine, one of the songs that we sang today. We're invited to the table of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you are good and you are holy. And this word today is not easy. It's not soft, but it's good. And our prayer is that your word would not come back void in our lives, that we'd, we'd accept that, that we'd search our hearts and our mind from false teachings, ideologies, the way we see you, the way we see the world, the way we see sin. Lord, God, some things seep in because it, we allow it to. Father, what do we need to hold on to and what do we need to rid ourselves of and rebuke? Father, sexual morality, single people and married people, Lord God, teach us your word and truth. Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Would we know that our bodies do not own us? We do not have to be enslaved to our desires, but we would trust you in all things. Father, that we would run to you as Lord and Savior and King. And just like the church in Ephesus to be reminded that you, you are our first love. God, move among your people in only the ways that you can.